This episode is brought to you by the Elite Academy, formerly known as hrvcourse.com. The Elite Academy now offers in-depth online courses on multiple subjects. So if you're enjoying the content of this podcast, but you're looking for a more structured and logical progression, looking at the science and application of these subjects, check out the Elite Academy at EliteHRV.com academy. Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast. This is your host, Jason Moore. And today joining us is Steve Ward. And Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, we had a chat a a few months back and we've conversed via email a little bit. And um, over the couple of chats that we've had, I, I determined that it would be extremely interesting to try to share what you've been working on with folks uh, out there listening. And just a a little background, Steve is a performance consultant to traders. And when we say traders, we're talking about the financial industry. And that includes also fund managers and frontline market performers, and uh, also just uh, business executives. And I think kind of, Steve, we said, quote, mental athletes is kind of how we can think about these people. Is that right? Yeah, so I, the phrase I normally use is uh, is cognitive athletes. It's just really, yeah. I mean, a lot of people see in, in the in the modern world that they're, they're kind of knowledge workers. You know, kind of the the uh, the intellectual capital is kind of the key resource. So it um, it's working with people, I guess, for me, in kind of highly demanding, uh, very sort of high stakes types of environments um, where there's probably you know a large element, excuse me, a large element of, um, of decision making. Um, you know, risk, uncertainty, complexity, um, where really, you know, the, the brain uh, and the ability to function, you know, uh, to function um, effectively, you know, is key to that performance. Yeah, that's huge. And a lot of times, you know, um, we've we've talked about athletes on the show in the past several times, and we've talked about health a lot, and the psychological and cognitive aspect of things comes up kind of as a, a side subject. So, I'm really interested to dive in a little bit with this as a focus. And uh, but first, kind of what drew you to this as a line of work? How did you get involved with these cognitive athletes? Yeah, it was um, purely random, to be honest. I Many years ago, my, uh, my interest was in uh, sports and performance psychology. So I was, uh, I was working as a, as a sports performance coach, uh, athletes and teams, 33 different sports all over the globe, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and then just by chance met um, a guy who was the head of performance and learning for a trading company and had seen one of my presentations to athletes and said, look, I'm quite keen to try this um, with my trading population. Would you be willing to give it a go? And I was like, well, look, I don't really know much about trading. I've done no work with traders, but if you think it could be useful, um, then yeah, let's let's give it a go, which um, must have been February, March 2005. And um, so, yeah, rocked up basically and then I kind of spent a couple of days um, on the trading floor, just getting a feel for the environment and talking to a few of the guys. And then um, we ran a series of workshops, which we kind of, you know, were very broadly sports psychology based at that time. And um, it went down really well. I mean, it was a, there's a whole language to trading that I had to kind of learn. It is like a foreign language, really. But um, that, that my sort of contact with sort of the interpreter uh, between you know, them and me in terms of understanding what they were kind of asking. Um, but yeah, the traders really enjoyed the content and um, I, mean, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's, it is a, it's probably the nearest environment I've been to that's like sport that isn't a sport. Um, very intense, very demanding, you know, risk uncertainty, highly results driven. Um, so yeah, so it, it, it was really a random encounter. And then really off the back of that, through to probably the Winter Olympics 2006 was probably my last major sports engagement. So for the last, was it probably 12 years now? It's really or 12, 13 years. It's been really just a core focus on the um, trading and investing community. That's huge, and I think 
it, as you were saying that, I was thinking that the neat thing about the trading community as well is for the rest of us who maybe aren't traders or aren't uh, elite athletes ourselves, there's still a lot that we can learn from those communities because like you said, they're kind of on the bleeding edge. They're looking at every way that they can optimize their process and the, the results, like you said, very results-driven um, people. And so on one side, you have kind of the traditional sports and athletes who are kind of trying all of these things that then trickle down to the rest of the population as things that we can do to improve our fitness, improve our health, or improve as recreational athletes. Whereas on this side with the cognitive athletes, the traders are like those um, kind of frontline, high-performing cognitive athletes that then maybe we can learn some things from and trickle down into the rest of business and work and life and uh, tackling, you know, uh, cognitive challenges and things like that. So I was just thinking that's that's kind of interesting, and um, it's interesting to see that you've drawn that conclusion having been exposed to both communities as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would agree. I mean, obviously, when I was in sports psychology, this is obviously late nineties, early two thousands. There was the beginning of really, I guess, let's call it kind of you know the uh, the sports performance model being rolled out into businesses, you know, and kind of you know a big interest in performance psychology in business. Um, but kind of be coming from the sports world, which which obviously does have some parallels to business, but actually a lot of people in business aren't. Um, training or competing or having a, a day-to-day existence that's similar to an athlete so some of the performance models also are very shareable and usable when you take um, the trading and investing community and let's say um, I mean I've done some work in professional poker as well as a, uh, helping poker players then those skills around let's call it you know decision making uh, strategy um for a lot of people in, in a normal business environment, they're probably going to be much closer to the ways that people are working day to day. So I think it's probably a bit of an untapped market to look at, you know, what these um, highly skilled, you know, cognitive type athletes do and how they do it and how they train themselves. Because uh, there might be a greater transferability of those skills um, to the everyday person as such. Um, as opposed to maybe what we can draw from the sports world. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, there's way, way more of us that have cognitive demands these days than physical demands, especially if you're, if you have the time to listen to a podcast, for example, then you're probably in that group. Yeah, agreed. Uh, So when you talk about being a performance consultant to these people and working with them, what, what areas are you helping them with? Or what do you focus on with these people? Um, yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, the in trading and investing, the it's all about the result. Um, it's hugely uh, P&L, profit and loss driven. Um, that's what people talk about. It's what they're obsessed about. So fundamentally, uh, my role is to enable people to have the skills and abilities to make more money. Uh, now, I actually try and fit that around, actually, and part of my philosophy is actually not to get too sucked into playing that game to get really into performance what is performance you know it's it's largely about decision making so you know what is a good decision how do you make good decisions what's the psychology behind that the physiology behind it so my role primarily I guess when people hire me is it's largely because they want to be getting better results I try and fit that around and say let's look at the performance aspect of that which I broadly break down into kind of three key buckets I guess so um, decision making is probably the core. I think that's what people are doing in, in, in trading and investing. They're making decisions um, either long term or short term, a high or low in number, but it's a decision making focus. And so one component part of that is kind of the psychological component. So it's having the psychology that allows you to make good decisions, um, but also to cope with the outcomes of those decisions, which can also be good, bad or somewhere in between. Then the second component, which I tend to focus on, and this is probably down to my sports background, is the physiology. So what's going on in the body when we're performing and making decisions. And I think this is quite um, unique because I think in um, cognitive athletes, people who might be in a similar field, it is very much around the cognition psychology side of things. Whereas for me, I'm very much, I guess, a believer in the mind-body connection. So I don't think we can look at making a decision as a mind-only or brain-only process 
for me, it's, you know, when we make a decision, particularly a risk-based decision under uncertainty, then it is a whole brain, whole body, whole mind process. So, so for me, the physiology is really important, hence obviously our connection via HRV. Uh, and then the third component part for me is what I would just call kind of maybe performance principles. So just drawing down on some of, sort of the key, I guess, philosophies or the strategies that we might see in elite performance, perhaps in the, in the military, in special operations or um, in high level elite sport. Uh, things around maybe preparation, performance analysis, those kind of component parts, uh, you know, having a performance process. So uh, probably a bit more of the behavioral side of things. So it's a bit of sort of psychology, a bit of physiology, and then a, uh, you know, a bit of behavioral stuff. So that kind of really gives me quite a broad range of tools um, to enable people to perform. But I think for the for the, uh, the people I'm working with, it makes it a much more kind of richer and holistic model um, rather than being, you know, I guess the danger is going too niche and making it purely psychological. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that's definitely um, a bigger look I would imagine than most people take when it comes to the kind of cognitive performance side of things. I think a lot of people, there's, there's definitely a lot of power and still a lot of room for growth in the psychology side of things, but including the physiology and the performance piece and the decision-making all together it, again, it just kind of echoes to the thoughts that we expressed earlier that if you're trying to achieve any type of kind of cognitively demanding task, that it would be beneficial to probably look at all of those areas uh, in your own life as well. So, um, yeah, no, it's 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 really fascinating. And you said, uh, obviously, the piece that connected us was the physiology piece, right, with the lead HRV. Um, and we can dig into different pieces of this, but I'm really fascinated to learn about what types of uh, physiological markers and what things you're looking for in the physiology that, uh, in your experience, contribute to better decision making and better performance for these cognitive athletes. Sure. I mean, uh, for me, I think we all know just intuitively that when we've you know, slept better or we've eaten better, when we're hydrated, um, when we just, you know, and our mood is better, that we are probably more able to make better decisions or perform better. So we all kind of have that intuitive sense uh, and traders do as well. And my clients do. Um, so everyone kind of knows in the trading world that you, you know, you should sleep well, you should eat well, you should hydrate, you know, you should have a, a you know, a, a balanced lifestyle and so on. So that that's known by all people. Um, it's practiced by very few um, at what I would call a high performance level. Um, so in my work and with traders and investors, they generally are quite sort of um, scientific driven bunch. They like data, they like numbers, charts, graphs. They want things to be kind of proven. Um, so the for me, one of the challenges always, is, and it's the same on the psychological side, it's making it, first of all, is there research or science behind this? Or have we got kind of some sort of um, evidence base from kind of you know, um, the real world environment? And then how do I use it? And, and, and traders, investors generally quite, you know, uh, short in terms of attention span and in terms of, um, you know, they want stuff they can actually take away and use. So when it came to looking at the physiology side of things, for me, it's very easy to give the, I guess, the standard talk about, you know, you need to sleep X number of hours, you need to, you know, eat these kind of foods and so on. But the feedback would always be, yeah, but we know all that. So it's how do you engage people? How do you make it meaningful? And for me, that means we've got to kind of make it measurable um, and, and get a bit of data. And that really led me to a search for um, what can we do? You know, maybe what is the marker, which then led me to HRV. So HRV for me then, I guess, through my research and reading, we came, okay, this is a, um, a number as such that we can we can utilise, so we can measure Um it seemed at the time, and probably even more so now through my, I guess, the last few years, that obviously there, we can see clear distinctions that certain factors, you know, sleep or exercise levels, stress levels and so on, will impact that number. And that's quite important for me in terms of, you know, if we're giving traders and investors things to do to change to make them better, can we track it to see if it's actually making a real difference? And, that, and that's been a really big piece for me with the HRV number. Then, of course, you get down to, right, if HRV is the number, how do we get the number? Um, you know, do we need some sort of you know massive piece of medical device that someone's got to drag around? If so, it's not going to work. Um, hence, I then came across obviously yourself uh, with Elite HRV, 
you know, with, with the app and, and a, you know, a heart rate monitor, which most traders are familiar with, mm-hmm. you know, reading in the morning. So again, not time intensive, input some data around your sleep and so on. So just really quick, simple and usable. But again, having the number and then the beauty of, the, you know, the red, yellow, green warnings as such, the indicators to give a sense as to where people are um, was really powerful because then when you start talking about, you know, sleep and exercise and activity and so on, it's not just about, okay, um, I know it. It's about, okay, well, let's measure kind of where you're at right now. Let's take you kind of, you know, your normal state, normal sleep, normal activity levels, your trading stresses and so on. Let's see what number that generates. Let's look for where we think we can make some improvements. Let's make some changes and let's track that over time. And suddenly people are much more engaged now in terms of, oh, Steve, I've noticed that when I, you know, my quality of my sleep is better, my HIV numbers are going up. Or when I'm doing the, you know, the relaxation or the breathing strategies, I'm noticing, and obviously in real time with the guided meditation on the app, but also over time, that my HRV number is changing. Um, so it really allowed me to engage people in kind of being aware of that physiology and, and, and the state and, and to show them, the, I guess, a broad range of tools and techniques to be able to change that and then to be able to track that over time. And I think that was, that was a, you know, a, a really important factor for me, but also for them. Oh, that's huge. And the so I imagine that people who are in the trading world or in the financial or, or business world are fairly into uh, measurable quantitative analyses. And just seeing those numbers change can have a powerful psychological effect and uh, effect on motivation as well, because these are pretty busy people also, right? Oh, yeah, correct. I mean, a lot of these guys will be doing, you know, 12, 13. I've got some of my clients are doing 14, 15 hour days as standard. Um, it's, it can be quite, it, it, I mean, it can vary. For some traders, can be, the pace can be relatively slow for large parts of the day. You know, it can be largely quite boring, actually. And, and there can be moments or there can be extended periods of, of high intensity. Um, also, if you're losing money, even though something might not be going on much in the markets on that day, the fact that you're in a situation where you're losing money over time creates an inherent amount of stress underneath. Um, and that's the other great thing, you know, with the with the um, HRV number is, and the two components I take around physiology would really be kind of sort of the energy side. So lifestyle around sleep, exercise, um, activity and recovery. And then balancing that with, can we also look at the, you know, the, the stress levels? And so we've got kind of the, the HRV number really giving us those, those kind of, I guess, fatigue on one hand and stress on the other. And again, I think um, all traders know stress has an impact. It becomes much more engaging when you can see what the impact is. And, you know, we've, we've done studies with traders where we've seen that, you know, when they've worked longer and had more intense trading periods, that HRV number declines. Um, it declines more in people whose performance lifestyle is not as good as as those who've got a better performance lifestyle. So when traders are under high stress but are sleeping well and being physically active and using breathing techniques or biofeedback, the decline in HRV is lower. Um, so you know, so there's a, a reduction in, in the impact. Um, likewise, when there's been an intense trading period and um, traders then are able to know how to recover then you can see the HRV pick up much more quickly, whereas in people whose recovery strategies are poor, HRV stays lower, suppressed for a longer period of time. Now, if we assume as a a basic guideline that high HRV produces a high physiological state and that increases our our performance capacity, then whenever that number's lower than it could be, there's essentially an opportunity cost in terms of what you could be making um, if you're in a better state. So it becomes a really powerful... um, indicator for people. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've used this analogy before, but in some regards, if you're not taking care of the uh, performance lifestyle piece, like the sleep, the nutrition, the recovery strategies and stress management, it's kind of like trying to uh, drive a car in a race with your foot on the brakes and the gas at the same time. Right. And so (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes intuitive sense that you probably don't want to do that because you're wasting a lot of energy trying to go faster if you have that foot on the brake and letting up on that might help. (laughs) Well, for me, it's the, I I often talk about like a platform, you know, for me, in in, in trading terms, P&L is kind of, that that is the core outcome. So the result is the core outcome. And I would say, okay, how would you get that outcome? 
you need to be doing the right things. So you need to be doing the right behaviors. What's going to help you to, to do the right behaviors consistently um, is you're going to need a strong psychology that allows you to make the right choices um, when it's difficult. Because a lot of trading is, is the, the, the psychological challenge in trading is, is doing the right thing in trading terms. You're often having to go against what would be a natural or in you know, a natural human impulse or urge. So there's a, you know, there's a, there's a continual kind of um, having to uh, make a, a, a good choice when actually it's a difficult thing to do. So you need that and you've got to be able to cope with also the outcomes of that. So, so the psychology then obviously supports the behavior. But what if your physiology isn't in place, if you're tired or you know, if you're highly stressed or if you're both, if you're both stressed and you're fatigued, then you can't expect to have a strong psychology if kind of the underlying platform um, is not operational at, at, at capacity. So for me, I, you know, I often talk about it's almost like the, the building block, the baseline of all of that is the physiology because that almost enables everything else to function optimally. Um, and I'm probably the, the, the very bottom layer of, of that platform is probably sleep. Um, you know, it's been probably the most fundamental factor. And again, we've got great research in general, but also in trading terms of the impact of sleep deprivation on risk taking and risk behavior. So um, you know, even just the idea around just sleeping well. Um, and I was doing some work for a hedge fund recently. And what was interesting was, is in that group, people were unaware that sleep quality was a dimension of sleep. They were all aware of, you know, the quantity, seven to eight hours, everyone knew that number. But when we got into the quality of sleep and sleep quality, that was almost like a, a new concept. So the idea of sleeping well for them had only been, you know, how many hours have I slept for? as opposed mm. to how, you know, how, how well have I slept for the hours that I've slept for. So, uh, but again, because we were measuring and we were looking at HRV and we had data, it made all those conversations very easy and very engaging both for them and for me, but it also created the motivation to then you know, go, go away and, and make some changes. Yeah, and that's huge. Actually, the sleep quality piece is, I think you're right, across the board, many people, uh, if they've listened to this show before, they've heard me talk about sleep quality, but still, I think it's, like you said, many people are starting to to hear about it, but few people are really actively uh, improving it, and that that's something that we could almost all improve. When, when, I, when my sleep is disrupted, or in general, when I have... Uh, kind of been running myself thin, then even I notice when I do things like these podcasts, I'll be stumbling over my words a little bit more. I'll be having a much harder time kind of thinking of the word that I'm trying to say and things like that. It's almost a, a bit frustrating in the back of my head when that happens. And then I notice a huge difference when I'm well rested and and not kind of uh, accumulating a lot of stress and overdoing it recently. And that's just, um, in theory, you know, this is just having a conversation. So it's not like yeah. making a major financial decision uh, right here, right now that, that the traders are experiencing day to day. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, intuitively, we all know that. So we all, you know, we, we all can find examples of when we've not slept well or we've not eaten or, you know, we've not been physically active enough and we can feel the impact on our performance, even, you know, in, in relatively low level tasks. So if we then think about if we had to make a significant you know, financial decision where there was uncertainty and volatility, um, high stakes, and there were you know, significant consequences to that decision, then obviously the, you know, it amplifies even more. And, and it's funny because I was having a, a conversation with a, with a client earlier today and uh, we did some work last year. And one of the big takeouts from, from the coaching we did last year was the importance of energy management. Um, to the point, and again, we got into it because we started to measure it. Um, whereas now that's a key part, you know, it's almost like one of the most important parts of his trading process is to make sure that he turns up. So we just call, we talk about it in terms of state. So state has, you know, again, it has the psychological component to state, but it's also that physical component to state. Um, and you want both to be as high as you can. And obviously the elite HRV, the HRV number allows us to track where that is and to see variations in that over time. Um, which for him, you know, when there's uh, when it starts to dip significantly, it's a chance just to go, okay, well, two things. One, there's awareness that my stakes may be lower. So maybe my, so I talk about, I, I call it kind of behavioral risk. That, that if your state is poor, 
you've got more chance of making a decision error. And I think what the Elite HIV app does with the, with the red, yellow, green, and I wouldn't use this on its own, but I think it's a bit of data that can alert us to the fact that the state may be in a condition which is suboptimal. And it then allows the trader to say to themselves, okay, well, now that I know that, do I still want to make that decision or do I want to take that amount of risk or do I want to do it in a slightly different way or could I delay that to a later time? So it just gives them a little bit more flexibility um, through having that awareness from it. But but again, I think, and I've seen this with, with a lot of clients recently, people are becoming more aware through you know a variety of reasons, I guess, just internet and, um, and resources and apps of the importance of kind of, I guess, you know, energy and state. Um, but then it still needs that kind of commitment to acting on it, uh, which is really important. And in my higher performing clients, um, that's what I see is quite a strong distinction is that commitment to the performance lifestyle, as I would call it, um, as opposed to people who might, you know, I'll turn up and if I'm a, a bit tired, you know, so be it. Um, but that can have a big influence day to day. Yeah. And, you know, I think similar to, to athletes, people will think about like um, a star athlete that they're interested in and, and how amazing that athletes, that particular athlete can make like a, a amazing play, right? Like, so they'll do something that seems almost superhuman uh, once in a while. And people think that's what makes that athlete great. But in reality, um, it's the ability to do that, but also the ability to make tons and tons of really small decisions in a really good way, almost all the time, like very consistently, right? So um, competition is so high at that level where you have to be consistently making good decisions, even small ones on a consistent basis to reach that level. And then those stars can do that plus the the power play, so to speak. Um but I think, you know, if you translate that to life, it's actually more like um, there are very few big pivotal decisions to make in life. But day to day, you're making hundreds, if not thousands of small decisions all the time, uh, some of which you're not even aware of. And if you're able to just uh, increase your baseline decision making a little bit, even just marginally, then that leads to kind of a compounding effect to, to use some more financial terms where over the course of time, those decisions compound on each other and you get a much better result over time. Yeah, completely agree. And I, th- and I think it, it, it's decision-making, it's, you know, it's how we perceive the world, you know, it's so much, so much depends on our state at any given time. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously the brain's sitting inside the body. So, you know, what, what's powering the brain? It's being powered and fueled through the body. So if we want it to function at its best, we need to recognize that it's not, you know, there's not a mind-body split. You know, we, it is embodied. It's sitting inside the inside the body. Uh, it's working with the body. So, you know, having that self-care process at whatever level people want to commit to or, or feels appropriate, but, but at least being aware of the impact of these factors is really key. And then, you know, when people come to a major life decision, I think that's where we need to maybe put more emphasis on, 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 on you know, kind of the, the physiology and the psychology. But as you say, you know, even day to day, it's recognising we're making hundreds, if not thousands of decisions, both conscious and unconscious, um, all of which you said, you know, compound and have some impact over time. So, you know, I think it's, it's slightly easier now than it was maybe 10 years ago to make people aware, to tell the, the narrative that, you know, that the, the brain is embodied and, you know, the, whole, the I guess the whole, whole cliche of, you know, healthy body, healthy mind is actually factual. Um, and, you know, say for a lot of my core clients who, you know, the cognitive athletes as such, making them aware of the significant impact between the state of the body and the ability to function and perform cognitively is huge and when they see that uh, through the research and when they get to experience it through little experiments using elite hrv and so on then you know it's 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 literally almost for some of them it's like a you know it's a revelation because again they know it intuitively but when you see it and you feel it and you've got the data it's undeniable and then if you care about what you do and you want to perform well um, and for many of my clients i'll say look um, this potentially is a competitive advantage, which is which is a really key thing, because um, everyone's looking for an edge, and and the you know the markets are very competitive. So technology can be an edge, you know your trading strategy can be an edge, but also your your physical state 
can be an edge. If you've got two traders equal ability sitting next to each other, one stressed and fatigued and one isn't, then that trader has the edge. Um, and that could be significant. So it's just trying to, it's really almost trying to get people to think about the fact that, you know, what, what's the resources? Where's your capacity to perform coming from? And, you know, if you think about, I guess, we've got, um, you know, everybody's got a skill set, you know, a craft of some sort, you know, the, the, the tools to do the job. And if we assume they've got them at a high level, that's great. So that gives them kind of the capability to perform. But capability is only one dimension. The other one is capacity. Have you got the psychological resources to perform? Have you got the physiological resources to perform? Because you could have great capability, but if you're low in capacity, then you're an underperformer. And it's really a question of how much am I underperforming? And what I try and get my clients to think about, okay, most of my clients I meet, I'm very lucky, they're very highly capable people. Um, but my goal is to try and say, like, how do we maximize that capability? And so we've got to think about capacity, both psychological and physiological. And I think once, you, once people start to understand performance like that, then it, again, A, it, it raises their awareness, but it allows them to go and go, okay, what do I need to do? What are the skills that I can learn? What are the habits I can build that can increase that capacity for myself? That's huge. I, I love that um, kind of dichotomy of capacity and capability because, uh, you know, part of human psychology too is to always kind of think, uh, think better of yourself than than maybe is warranted. Um, and I'm not I'm not telling. Uh, you're right, <laughs> and that's not to criticize anybody that thinks highly of themselves. But um, basically, we kind of picture ourselves in our ideal state a lot of times, and not realizing that maybe uh, our capacity is putting us at a little bit lower than what we are capable of actually achieving. Uh, so I really like that uh, outlying outlining it that way and uh you know so a, a couple things there one one thing too is uh a lot of people can think of outliers pretty easily off the top of their head i mean maybe everyone can think of an athlete that's known for eating junk food all day and still being a super performer um and uh and or people who maybe seem really unhealthy and are really successful in business but I think that the trading community and even the athlete community at large kind of knows that there's enough randomness in the system to where there will be outliers, but you have to pretty much assume that you're not an outlier if you're being honest with yourself. And uh, so taking a kind of more statistical approach to saying, okay, I, I need to be increasing my capacity as high as I can because in general, I'm probably not the outlier just by definition. Um, so that's kind of a, an interesting thing that I've always tried to keep in mind as, uh, there have been times where I'm like, Oh, you know, that probably won't affect me as much as it would other people. But why, why would I statistically speaking, that's completely wrong. But <laughs> yeah, um, the, other, the other thing is Jason as well is that, um, there will be those outliers for sure, but always a question is, let's go to the athlete eating junk food and performing at a high level. But the question is, if they ate a better diet for a period of time, would they be even better? Right. Because you know, let's, let's say somebody's sleeping, you know, six, I, mean, I hear it from traders, you know, I only get five or six hours sleep a night, Steve, I'm doing okay, I'm making money. Okay, we're not disputing that. What I'm interested to find out is, if you slept for longer or slept better over time, would your decision making, would your responses and your capacity increase significantly enough that you could make even more money? So you may already be the best performer in the, in the hedge fund or the organization already, but how much better could you be if you made some changes? Now, that's just an interesting question to ask. I'm not saying that the person has to change, but then we could get into, and this is part of my philosophy, let's experiment and try it out if you're willing let's take a couple of weeks and work on a sleep component or let's work on being more physically active. Um, let's make it more interesting. Let's track a number that might tell us what's improving physiologically. Let's look at that alongside your decision-making journals and your results and your data and see if anything changes. Um, and, and if it doesn't, it was an interesting experiment. Um, and if it does, it was an interesting experiment. Um, <laughs> right. But, but, you know, but it gives us a chance, you know, with having things like HRV and having the HRV number, it allows us to engage in, in data-driven experiments rather than kind of going, oh, well, you know, I, I think I felt a bit better when I was sleeping more. 
you know, we can see that HRV has gone up from, you know, this number to this number over time as your sleep quality has improved, um, even during a stressful market time, which we can track using market data. So, you know, we can get market data, we can get results data, we can get uh, psychological data based on kind of mood and mindset and so on, or we can track the physiology using HRV. So we can track, you know, we can track capacity psychologically, we can track it physiologically, we can track results, we can track market data. So we can get a pretty good idea about what's going on for a person over a period of time that allows us then uh, to, you know, to kind of maybe draw some conclusions that might be useful. And again, we might do a, a longer test period or, or we might go, do you know what, that wasn't for me, you know, it didn't work out and that's fine. But I think high performance is really, or the goal towards achieving high performance is a series, an ongoing series of experiments. Um, and I think from people in my community, if it's data driven, that's always useful. And I think going back to an earlier point we're making as well about the, um, just came into mind talking about the um, the outliers is also I think sometimes outliers can um, crop up in what I would call the achieving high performance phase. Um, what interests me for my clients is not being good just now and in the short term, but what about a sustainable high performance? Now, when we mm. talk about sustainable high performance, so being good over a long period of time, a large part of that, and this is pretty true in the markets world, is going to be, can I sustain the level of energy required to keep going? Now, that essentially is a capacity issue. So you know, to, to, to stay good at trading and investing in the long term, you have to be able to adapt and evolve your style to the changing markets, but you also need the underlying energy to keep going. So you can be really good with a bad lifestyle, you know, eating junk food, doing the wrong things, getting a little bit lucky in the short term. It's very hard, though, to do that over a long period of time. So I think, you know, the performance lifestyle and those factors um, is important. And I see lots of this demand from my clients in banking is how do we sustain people's performance over time? Uh, and for me, that's, that's largely about capacity. That's huge. Yeah, that is a great, great point because um, in the short term, randomness uh, plays such a key, huge role in uh, in everything, basically. So you can have somebody who's really lucky, do everything wrong, and end up with a great result in the short term. But if they keep doing everything wrong over the course of a career, eventually you'll never hear about them. <laughs> and there's a, there's a great book uh, Nassim Talib fooled by randomness where he talks about that very same thing in trading where lots of people made a lot of money in trading uh, by being lucky in the short term uh, and then either you were very lucky because you realized you were lucky and you got out having made lots of money or suddenly you know it catches up with you um, and it's, you know you, you end up losing lots of money um, but in the long term you know, if, if people are being consistent in the markets in the long term then you know, generally there's obviously that, that there's a higher level of skill being demonstrated. The randomness is being slightly more you know evened out. Um, but again, then it comes down to you know it's a bit about passion, it's a bit about persistence. But you know even enthusiasm. But all of these are kind of high energy qualities. Where's that energy being fueled from? It's coming from the body. So if your body is drained, and I've seen this enough, we did a couple of bits of research with some trading groups over the last couple of years, and we've seen it in the in the more experienced, the older traders. They're lower in capacity, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're fatigued, they're worn out, you know, it's kind of, you know, a bit like, um, you know, being in battle day to day, and, and it just drains you. And, and some of those traders, it's been significantly drained, because they've had poor performance lifestyle as well. For other people, there's been a, you know, more of a, a, a drip by drip draining, because they've been able to resist or, or reduce the impact of that, because they've had a good lifestyle um, to kind of, you know, to kind of manage it. So it's, um, but sustainability, really, you know, that, that capacity physiologically is such a big piece and, and you know as you say that it to me you can almost uh close the loop on that and say that if we're, we're not saying you should be obsessed over your health to where you don't do anything else but think about how to maximize your capacity all the time because that in and of itself will be a drain uh, as well but if you uh, aren't addressing these things essentially you're just rolling the dice and leaving it up to chance and uh, there's no guarantee that uh, sleeping better will actually make you more money. It's not a guarantee. It's just increasing the probability that you'll make better decisions, which should over the long term play out in a better result, right? So it's, it's just managing risk and probability from another angle. It's not guaranteeing one thing or another. And there's still a uh, element of randomness yeah. to it as well. And then it's, um, 
it's basically, you know, it's the aggregation of marginal gains. You know, you're looking for if I'm sleeping better than I was and maybe I'm hydrating a bit more than I was and I'm getting more recovery than I was strategically during the day um, and my preparation is slightly better and my psychological state is slightly improved and my performance habits are slightly better. And if I make six or seven changes or all make me, you know, one or two percent on average better, it doesn't mean my, my results go up by 14 percent or seven percent. But it means the potential to make a better decision in the moment and therefore to get better outcomes improves. Um, and I think when you when you get to the higher levels of, of competition and performance, you know, you are looking for more marginal type gains. You know, at, at the beginner level, there's a lot of basic things that you can do that can make a massive difference before sleep becomes a key factor. As you become a more established, more competent, uh, more, you know, a high level of expertise as a performer, particularly in, in my world, then those things actually, the psychology particularly, as well as the physiology, on a day-to-day basis, probably make the biggest impact um, on your results. That's huge. And, you know, earlier you mentioned you mentioned poker players, and um, it's kind of a fascinating thing to watch and think about if anyone's ever seen a high-stakes poker game. You know, oftentimes there's millions of dollars uh, on the line for <laughs> calling a, a set of cards, right? Which sounds almost comical for people who don't gamble that much. But most of the people who are successful at poker, um, one name comes to mind. I'm a little bit rusty and out of touch with the community, but uh, Daniel Negrano is a, a famous poker player. And I think historically his strategy has been to just consistently make good decisions over the whole course of tournaments and games and things like that and not go for the big power plays that are very risky, possibly very rewarding in the short term, but um, also very risky and likely that you may end up tapping out. So uh, again, it's kind of that just consistency over time. And, um, you know, I just kind of thought of that as you were mentioning. Um, but, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about data and you, um, you, have run some studies that you mentioned earlier uh, briefly, and I imagine some of those are just kind of individual experimentation and others are kind of like uh, on a population or a subpopulation. Maybe you could just outline a few of those and some of kind of the interesting things that you've learned uh, from from some of those. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, so many have been individual, but I've also done probably two or three or oh. For about 45 um, over the last few years, sort of larger scale. I won't go into too much detail in terms of the clients or the the exact um, logistics, just in terms of um, confidentiality. But some of the key findings from across those studies, I, I can also share a, a bigger piece. Is so, um, and we'll work around kind of I guess the physiology and the HRV. But we have seen, for example, and this is across all those different studies and with individuals that as uh, trading intensity increases. Now, that, now, intensity, we often measure in terms of two variables. Um, how long was I trading for? So kind of an hours um, versus how much was I trading in terms of the size of the trade or the amounts of the trade. So we kind of have an intensity number. Um, and as that intensity number increases over time, um, HRV decreases. So, so we know there's a, there is a physiological strain on the body from, from making these high number of decisions or these high um, um, consequences of, of those decisions. Um, hours of work, we again, just working longer hours often reduces sleep. So we've seen in all the trading studies we've done, we've seen that when traders were sleeping less, um, HRV declines. Um, interestingly, we did um, a study where we've had traders who've been trading overnight. So they normally trade during the day. There are sometimes in the markets where there are opportunities overnight. Um, and, and typically, on the first night, there's not a significant decline in HRV the next day. On the second night, it tends to go down slightly, so noticeably. But by the time they get to the third day, there's often a significant, sometimes as great as 50% drop in HRV from that third kind wow. of night of, of working during the night time. So um, what's interesting is for some of those traders, they were then going into work on those days, uh, really unaware of the impact on their physiology. So but again, it's, that was a really good, uh, good insight for us. Uh, interestingly, we also looked at um, how do traders recover from intense trading periods, because one of my goals really is some periods in the markets are intense, which is great. Um, what does it take out of you? And then what do you do about that? So we saw, as I've mentioned earlier, that the intensity in the markets does take it out of traders physiologically. So it will reduce capacity to perform. 
Um, so then my question to them is, okay, if you were an athlete and you were training hard, if you were a cyclist and you did the Tour de France and you know you're going to be doing 21 days or 19 days out of 21, riding on average four or five hours a day, many of those in the mountains, you probably wouldn't then on the following Monday go and ride another three-week tour. You would obviously build in recovery. So my question was really, how do you recover? So we tracked traders' recovery. And what we saw was some interesting things. Uh, One, some traders did take recovery, but uh, they maybe went off skiing on action holidays. And what we found out was, um, particularly on skiing trips, that skiing uh, four or five hours a day combined with um, above average levels of alcohol consumption uh, is not good for recovery. Um, So (laughs) HRV declined during the recovery period. So that was interesting because, and again, I say it a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it was good awareness that what is recovery? So now we can start to look at, well, look, you took some time out of the markets and you did things you enjoyed doing and also you had a drink, which is fine, and you did, went skiing, which obviously is really good, and you're with your friends, so you have social connection. It was really enjoyable. But physiologically, when you came back from that holiday, you were in a lower state than when you went on the holiday. So it was a holiday and it was relaxing and enjoyable, but it wasn't recovering. That's a really great insight because people often ask me, well, what is recovery, Steve? How do I know if I'm recovering? So in simple terms, we go, well, HRV should be increasing. It should be restorative. So we, again, we can track it. Some traders um, had no recovery. So they would have these intense trading periods, come back into the markets, and HRV would be suppressed for quite a few periods of time. And we would see it in terms of they would be unable to trade as intensely they would not want to work um, as long as hours. And also in some of them, we saw risk aversion. So um, really an unconscious bias towards not wanting to engage in the markets and take risk, essentially down to fatigue uh, and to higher levels of kind of stress. That was interesting. And then we had a smaller proportion of traders who were um, a bit more educated. We've done some work before together. And they actually built an active recovery with the aim of recovering. And for those traders, we did see HRV going up. So uh, which is pretty interesting. And then other things that we've done, you know, in those studies is look at, okay, um, here's some intense trading periods. Let's get a control group and a non, you know, and a, and a study group. We'll do a pre and a post. And let's test out what happens if you uh, do, you know, 10 minutes of mindfulness practice a day during an intense trading period compared to when you don't do that. Let's look at what happens if you do 10 minutes of breathing-based techniques during a, a stressful trading period as opposed to not doing that. Let's look at... Um, the effect of, you know, if you sleep an extra hour or sleep an hour less. And we just did really a series of little experiments to test things out. And, and what was interesting was um, quite hard to engage traders in regular things like mindfulness practice and breathing practice. But when we were able to show data that the people that did that, not we had a couple of clients who not only did their HRV not decline during an intensive trading period, it actually increased. So we had a couple of clients who kind of had really... I guess, bought into the idea of performance lifestyle. Uh, I'm really committed to that. And it was interesting that in all other people during that trading period, HRV was declining, uh, some rapidly, some less so. But for a couple of people, it actually increased over that period. And they were the ones who had committed to a minimum, in both examples, of 15 minutes of either mindfulness or breathing-based type activities, but were also more physically active than the other traders in that population group. So that again, that was an interesting thing to look. And there, there could be other factors. I'm not saying this is this is the truth, you know, factual as such. But it was it seemed to be a clear indicator that that performance lifestyle piece, what we do and how we do it, and how much of it we do, can play quite a significant part. So, um, but the studies have been useful um, because it's just enabled people to, um, or for me and for them, to enable us to look at what's the impact of your role on you. Uh, what's the impact of you on how well you do your role? And let's play around with some variables and see what makes a difference for you. That's huge. And then the fact that you can measure that and uh, show the results not only to the client, but then tuck that away into your own personal experience as a consultant and coach. And then uh, over time, you kind of are going to be building up some really fascinating data uh, which which kind of leads me to as a wrap. I, I mean, this this is these are subjects that I could talk about for hours and hours. But um, is there a place on the internet that people can find more information about you or, or get in contact with you if that's an option? Or maybe you can just let us know what the options are there. 
Yeah, so probably the best place is just through the website, which is um, www.performanceedgeconsulting.co.uk. So that's the best place. Obviously, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, probably just typing in Steve Ward, Trader Performance Coach, will kind of bring you uh, uh, into, uh, into touch. Um, then there's a few books out there if you fancy a read. So on, on the trading side, um, a book called High Performance Trading that I wrote probably 2009 now. So that's my first book. And then one more recent, 2014, a book called Trader Mind. So they're probably, um, if you're interested, good books to have a read of. Um, yeah, I think that's probably it really. That's fantastic, Steve. I appreciate that. And as usual, we'll post the links to those over at EliteHRV.com slash podcast. And Steve, um, you know, so are you in London or where where are you located right now? Uh, at this moment in time, I'm in London, but I spend probably about uh, well over half of my year um, on the road. So it, uh, I'm enjoying a few days actually just post Christmas, uh, actually uh, at home and then uh, back on the travels from uh, from next week. All right. Well, hey, best wishes on all of that. And thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know that uh, we were kind of joking before we hit record that it is kind of nice to get back into the routine sometimes from from the holiday schedule. Um, But it's also good to have a balance of recovery for all of us as well, too. (laughs) Absolutely. And and thanks for, uh, for inviting me on. I've really enjoyed it. Great. Yeah. Well, uh, everybody will post the links and thanks for listening. This has been really fascinating for me personally as well. So I really appreciate it, Steve, and we'll call it a wrap. Thanks very much. The Elite Academy now offers in-depth online courses on multiple subjects. So if you're enjoying the content of this podcast, but you're looking for a more structured and logical progression, looking at the science and application of these subjects, check out the Elite Academy at EliteHRV.com academy.